0: Amen, church family. Y'all had some worship this morning. God's promises still stand. Amen. Let's hear some preaching. Oh, my goodness. Mike Driscoll trying to apply pressure early on. (laughs) I want to say thank you to the praise team, the dancer, the music. Y'all have been awesome this morning. I don't know why Pastor Bambi always leaves when I'm trying to talk to her. That's how it is on the staff all the time. Did y'all see that cute guy singing that last song? I know you saw him. Somebody slip in my number later. Cause he's cute. I'm so glad that you all joined us this morning for our Black History Month celebration. I think we should just uh, jump right into it. Um, One day God was looking down on earth and saw all of the mischievous behavior that was going on. So God called one of the angels and sent the angel to earth for a time. When he returned, he told God, yes, it's bad on earth. 95% are misbehaving and only 5% are not. God thought for a moment and said, maybe I had better send a second angel to get another opinion. So God called another angel and sent her to the earth for some time. And when that angel returned, she went to God and said, yes, it's true. The earth is in decline. 95% are misbehaving and 5% are good. God was not pleased. So God decided to send an email. I know. <laughs> go, go go with me here. So God decided to send an email to the 5% that were good in order to encourage them and give them a little something to help them keep going. So do you know what that email said? No? No. No. Who said yeah? (laughs) Good, because I don't know either. Okay, I'm not one of those 5%. I'm part of the 95%. Amen. We have a way down here of just messing things up. Everything we put our hands on, we seem to find a way to destroy it. So today I want to talk to you. About how we can take our hands off and let God do what God does amen Amen. but first I think we ought to pray let's bow our heads precious and holy God we come to you today just asking you to be part of this service we've come before you today to have an interaction with you God I ask that you would bless these words move me aside let your voice fill this void let someone leave differently today in the way that they came in here. God, we thank you for all that you do in our lives, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So in my house, we have six boy types. There are uh, Max and Milo. This is Max closest to you, and that precious West is, is Milo. Then we have uh, Tony, who has just joined our family not too very long ago. And then everybody knows the handsome Sean. Me and Tyrell, that makes six. And I don't need to pick pictures of me and Tyrell up, but you know that the problem with a house full of boys is that someone is always complaining and in need. Of baby. Am I right? Amen. (laughs) So, ladies, you know how we can be, especially when one of us gets sick. So, last week, Max, my oldest dog, came into the house limping and favoring that right paw. Now, I know that he's only been somewhere, uh, he's only been in the backyard. He hasn't been outside of the backyard. So, I figured he must have run into a hole. Or maybe he got into some kind of minor fluff-up with Milo. Either way, he wouldn't let me touch it. But it was clear he wanted my sympathy and some extra attention, which I begrudgingly gave. My problem was that as soon as one of those rascally squirrels gets into the backyard, Max is full out, galloping to the back of the fence because he's going to catch that squirrel one day. And he's been trying to catch that squirrel for 14 years, and it's never happened. But today was going to be the day, He runs out there, and of course, nope, he doesn't catch the squirrel. But then he looks around and sees me watching him from the kitchen window, and all of a sudden, the limp comes back, and the I said, we men, we are a whiny bunch. Recently, we were blessed by God for the opportunity to adopt the oldest boy in our house, Sean. It was. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, We didn't think it was ever, ever going to get done uh, three years in that process, but it did. And I was moved to tears and taken aback when our lawyer sent us what would be the official legal decree prior to adoption day many have said and and my husband would probably agree that finally uh, being able to adopt sean was like a weight being lifted off of our shoulders but reading the actual legal language felt heavy to me and as i said it moved me to tears so listen to this the child shall for all intents and purposes be considered the natural child and heir of the petitioners tyrell hicks and robert ferguson and shall be entitled to the same rights and privileges to which the child would have been entitled if the child had been the biological child, see what I'm saying, I can't say the words, an heir of the petitioners. That is some heavy stuff right there. This heavy to me, he is totally now my responsibility. I can't send him back, I can't give him away, I can't return him to the manufacturer. He is mine, and I must prepare him for life as an adult. I must prepare him for life as a black man in these United States. I must tell you today that my main concern is that those boys must know how to walk through this world as black men. That is my charge as their adoptive and foster father to try as best I can to raise them to be respectful, forthright, honest, and kind. But I must tell you, that's hard. Raising two black boys in 2023 in these United States is a scary proposition. So church family, on this Black History Month Sunday, can I honestly share with you some of my fears for my boy? Turn on the news any given day, and you and I are faced with the realities of being black in this country. And I have to tell you, from where I sit, it's downright scary. You don't, uh, you don't have to believe me. Ask the father and the mothers of Tyree Nichols, Philando Castile, Alton Sterling, Freddie Gray, Eric Garner, tamir rice michael brown jason lipscomb and george floyd so we as black parents and any parents to black children have found ourselves in the precarious position of having to have the talk do you know what the talk is The talk is an uncomfortable but necessary conversation that most, if not all, parents of black children must have with their kids. It's both a warning and a set of instructions about interacting with the police. On a deeper level, the talk is a heart-wrenching acknowledgement that parents can't always protect their children, as well as a lesson that could mean life or death. Autumn McDonald uh, is a resident of Oakland, California. She was interviewed by a local news affiliate in Oakland. She is a mother of three black boys. And she said in an interview that, I told my boys, you can't argue. You have to listen and say, yes, sir. Whether you are right or wrong, it doesn't matter. You have to be Submissive, basically. She goes on to say, when that thing that strikes fear into a potential police officer or anyone else is your blackness, how do you lay down your weapon when your weapon is your identity? This isn't a new conversation. You could probably trace it back generations. My parents had it with me and my father's father had it with him. And to be clear, I am not suggesting that all policemen are bad and intent on hurting people of color, but these are my kids and I can't take any chances. Mrs. McDonald also mentioned in that interview that police officers were presented to her young children at a a young age as community helpers. Like hers, my sons love the police, and they especially love police cars. But I have to be honest with you, church, I'm fearful. That's where I am, and that's where I've been for the last five years since we got our first foster care placement. And I know we aren't supposed to act as if we have fear in our lives, but when I turn on the news and I think about what these two young men could possibly have to face in their future, Sometimes fear shows up in my situation. I know God has not given us a spirit of fear, Pastor Bammy, but we get it from somewhere. Every now and then we find ourselves in a situation that will scare us beyond belief. I don't care if it's a medical diagnosis, a financial situation, a relationship issue, or something going on with your children. There's just some stuff that will break you down. So my question for you today is, what do you do when it's out of your hands and out of your control? Racism is a scourge that has existed in this country and around the world for thousands of years. I can't fix it. We don't seem to be able to stop it. So what do you do with that? What do I tell my boys? Uh, uh, Don't carry a gun. Don't carry a weapon. Their fear of your skin is the weapon. And you aren't carrying that. They are. I can't always be there to protect It's out of my hands so that's what I've been wrestling with lately and I got a funny feeling and a sneaky suspicion that you have some things in your life that you've been wrestling with too if you live long enough you will find yourself in the place where you don't have the opportunity to do anything about the circumstance you are facing so how do you handle a situation when you can't do anything about the situation you're trying to handle On July 4th, 1845, we're going back, go with me. On July 4th, 1845, John Tucker, a free black man and a local landowner, was lynched in downtown Indianapolis right here on the circle. After an altercation with three drunk white men. Now according to the Indiana State Sentinel, which was the abolitionist newspaper of the time, The assailants attacked Tucker with clubs, stones, and brickbats. The founding pastor of Second Presbyterian, which is over at 77th, 77th and Meridian now, used to be down on the Circle. The founding pastor, Henry Ward Beecher, a white man, raced out of his church after hearing uproarious commotion right outside. Initially Beecher, a known abolitionist, tried to attempt to stop the lynching, but ultimately was unsuccessful. Afterwards, Beecher reported that Tucker defended himself with desperate determination. But as the crowd grew, so did the cheers for Tucker's death. This is a hard story to hear, right? And when you realize that it happened just miles from right here in our lovely Indianapolis. It chills me to my bones and reminds me that Indiana's history with racial injustice goes back a long way and is deeply embedded in our local culture. James Baldwin summed it up best when he said, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all of the time. To be black in this country can make you angry, and out of that anger grows fear. Not fear for myself as much as fear for the young men in my charge. And it makes me want to say, God, where are you? So as a believer and a person of faith, I turn to prayer and to the Bible, and one of my favorite books is the books of Psalms. And so as we look at this book, you Bible readers may know that in this book we find every human experience being uplifted. You find brothers and sisters who are at the top of their lives, the top of their game, the mountaintop experiences of life, and they know how to rejoice in a place like that. Then you find brothers and sisters going through the worst circumstances of their lives. And right there in the book of Psalms, You can resonate with people who understand that sometimes life will knock the life out of you. In the book of Psalms, you find people who delight in the Lord and celebrate God's goodness. And you also find people who just want to be real about their circumstances and say, God, you got to do something about this and do it quick. I like the book of Psalms because every human emotion is revealed from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150. And I'm grateful that in Psalm 46, our reading for today, we have the experience of brothers and sisters who are in relationship with God and have confidence in God to the point that they would sing a song and worship God in the midst of their circumstances. Psalm 46, according to scholarship, is known as a communal song of confidence and trust when you read Psalm 46 you are reminded that they are a group of believers who understand that God is at work in every scene and situation of life we can trust God with everything that is within us you miss that wake up God is at work in every scene and situation in our life Look at how Psalm 46 starts off. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help. This is a community of people raising the collective voice in celebration of God who continues to do great things in their life. The community is celebrating their confidence and trust in their God of their salvation. I like it. And I can appreciate the fact that we come together like this. We can touch and agree and celebrate that God is our refuge and God is our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. But it's around verse two when I start to slow down a little bit. And as the young people say, get all up in my field. I don't resonate so much with verse number two. It clearly says, therefore, we will not fear. The psalmist says that because I know that God is our refuge and I know that God is our strength and a very present help in time of trouble, that I will not fear. I get it from a theoretical point of view and I understand that Israel had such a history with God that they knew God would protect them. And if I'm being real honest with you this morning, I have seen some things in my life that are scary situations. When I hear stories of black men being lynched right here in Indianapolis, and I don't care if it was 175 years ago or six weeks ago in Memphis, Tennessee, I am fearful for my little black boys and what the future holds for them. There have been some seasons in my life where fear has shown up in my situation. The Bible says we will not fear, but I ask you something. Have you ever experienced a situation in your life that you didn't know how you would handle? Or a circumstance that made you afraid? How do you handle a situation when you can't do anything about the situation you are trying to handle? The Bible says we won't fear, and repeatedly through uh, these 11 verses, the psalmist is raising up his confidence in God. And for 10 or 11 verses of the psalm, the worship leader is trying to get everybody in the community to just understand how wonderful God is. I point your attention to Pastor Bambi this morning telling y'all y'all don't have enough energy and this is your time to worship. The worship leader is trying to get us to understand how great God is. We all know it for ourselves, but we need a worship leader to help us. But what I like is in that verse 10, God decides I'm not gonna let the worship leader speak on my behalf. In verse 10, God shows up in the midst of the psalm and speaks God's truth as only God can. And when God speaks into a situation or a circumstance, God says, I know you have some trepidation. Trepidation. I know you have some fear. I know there's a lot that you don't understand. But here is a word for you, child of God. Be still and know that I am God. You will be still. We spend so much time trying to run around and fix it. We want to interject our thoughts and our feelings and our attitudes and our whatevers. And God is saying, be still. Let God be God. I love this text because it reminds me uh, that God can show up in the nick of time and speak a word into your situation and let you know that trouble won't last always. When Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to travel, legend has it that he carried three uh, books with him at all times. And the first, of course, was the Bible. And the second was the Constitution of the United States. And the third was a copy of Jesus and the Disinherited by Howard Thomas. Perhaps that third book isn't as familiar to you. Uh, but my hope is that by the end of the year we'll be reading it together but Howard Thurman was a black American who grew up in the segregated South in the 1900s he would become one of the most uh, celebrated and prominent theologians in the country in 1935 track that date he led a six-month delegation of African Americans invited to India to speak with Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi was asking uh, persistent, pragmatic questions about the black American community and its struggles. In 1935, when Thurman asked Gandhi what message he should take back to the United States, Gandhi said he regretted not having made nonviolence more visible as a practice worldwide and remarked that it may be through the Negroes that the unadulterated message of nonviolence will be delivered to the world. Thurman returned to the United States and was influential to many leaders of the civil rights movement, including Dr. King. But before Thurman achieved this level of greatness and influence, he almost gave up on his education in high school. In his memoir, he recalls that in segregated Florida, there were schools for black children and schools for white children. At that time, the black schools only went to the seventh grade. Thurman was able to take private lessons and complete the eighth grade, but the nearest high school was in Jacksonville, Florida. After jumping over some seemingly impossible obstacles, Thurman packed a borrowed old trunk with no locks and no handles, tied it with the rope, and made his way to the railroad station to catch a train to Jacksonville. When he got to the station, he was met with discrimination because the agent refused to tie the ticket unless there was a handle on the trunk. Thurman's trunk had no handles only a rope. The trunk would have to be sent express and Thurman had no money for that. So he sat down on the cold concrete curb and he cried his heart out. Suddenly, somebody say suddenly, suddenly he looked up. He saw a black man in work boots and overall standing in front of him rolling a handmade cigarette. He looked down at Thurman and he said, boy what are you crying about Thurman told his story to the man and the man replied if you are trying to get out of this town and get an education the least I can do is help you so that man took Thurman back to the counter paid to have his trunk expressed to his destination the agent gave the man the ticket the man gave the ticket to Thurman and then without a word he turned and disappeared down the railroad track Thurman says in his memoir, I never saw that man again. We will never know who that man was. He wrote no books, he left no record. All he did was pour into a little boy sitting alone at a railroad station. Howard Thurman made it to high school, went on to Morehouse, graduated, got his doctorate, became a minister and a mentor to Dr. King and many others. This is how God works this is how god moves us forward in this struggle howard thurman sitting on the steps at the railroad station despondent and disheartened head in his hand tears flowing down and feeling helpless was lost in a scary situation how many of you know that sometimes that's exactly where god meets us when we are lost In a scary situation with our backs up against the wall there doesn't seem to be a way out when it's out of our control and out of our hands if we could just leave it in God's hands everything would work out all right amen this blesses me because the first thing that the text seems to be telling me is that when it's out of our hands we need to relax look at Andrea Platt being fabulous all I said was make it spin. She didn't have made it do flips and turn backwards and everything else. Relax. Some of y'all didn't come out to hear this today, but let's just be honest. We are all going through some things. It's very easy to get stressed out. It's the people on the job. It's the people that you live with. Just keep looking at me. Don't turn. Just look at me. It's the people that you live with. It's the bills. It's the commitments. It can all, it's a lot of stuff, and it can all stress you out. It is into those situations that God is able to show up and speak a word and say, Relax. It's biblical. It's biblical. Where's my clicker? I don't. Be still. The word in Latin, the translation would be Rafa, means to relax. Withdraw. There are many connotations for this phrase, be still. The first one is not to be despondent or disheartened. Another one is to not be slack or lazy. But the context of this particular pa- passage, if you read it above it, is talking about God who fights our battles. So we understand this phrase in the context as lay down your weapons withdraw and let god handle it verse 9 tells us that god makes wars to cease god breaks the bows and shutters the spears the psalmist talks about wars like the ones that always seem to show up in your life some sort of drama some situation that shows up in your life and tries to wreck havoc and when you're in a relationship with god that's the key when you can't handle the war, the battle, the drama, the stress, God says, withdraw. Retreat. Take your hands off of it. Drop your weapons. God says, I got this. I got this. Let me tell you something. The Bible says very clearly that all things work together for good. To them, I don't have no Bible readers in this congregation today. For them who are called according to his purpose. So that says that God's got this and God's got you. Amen. God's got this and God's got you. I wish I had somebody in this congregation to help me this morning. I certainly do believe that God can handle a whole lot of things. Things that I can't handle but I have a problem at the core of who I am I'm a fixer I like to fix stuff I like to get into the situation and, and let me let me just be clear when I say that my husband would disagree because I don't fix the plumbing but he will probably tell you that being a fixer is the best and, and the worst thing about me see I'm not a fixer like this I don't know what that is. This guy's, <laughs> I'm not a fixer like this. He doesn't have a tire, so he just. We're all gonna die, but I'm not a fixer like that. And I don't know what the heck. <laughs> I'm not a fixer like this. I'm not handy. <laughs> I'm not nearly that handy, but I like to fix situations and circumstances. I like to be able to handle stuff. I pride myself on being able to reconcile things and make sure that everything's all right. It irritates my spouse to death because sometimes all he wants me to do is listen. But before he can finish the sentence, I'm already on my way to try to fix it. He said, you move so fast. Why don't you slow down sometimes? What? What's the problem? What's the problem? I'm here to fix it. (laughs) But what do you do when you encounter something and come up against something that you can't fix? You come to a point in your life where you face something that you don't have any control over God says relax be still and I want you to remember remember that I am God because if truth be told some of us fixers have a God complex I hear no amens everybody got quiet Do we have any fixers in the house? Are you a fixer? Okay. Do we have a God complex? Uh. We think we can handle everything, especially after the training we've had, the degrees we have, the experience we've had, the circumstances that we've already handled. But I feel like sometimes God has to sit us down, humble us, and remind us that God is in charge, not us. I ran across something as I was preparing for today that I thought was was very interesting. If you look at Proverbs 30, 26, it talks about the rock badgers, our feeble folk. They make their homes in the crag, and a crag is like a a, a rock wall side of a a, a mountain or something. And here, look, aren't they adorable? (laughs) Those are rock badgers, are conies, they are considered weak and not strong enough to fight. The Bible refers to them as feeble, which means that they lack physical or mental strength. It comes from a Latin origin, which means to lament, weep, or cry. But rather than sit around and cry because of the hand that they've been dealt, they have found ways to adapt to their environment. You see, the rock badger makes its home, or their holes, among the stones and the rocks. They go where men can't dig them up. They go where dogs and foxes can't follow them. And then when they see men or dogs or foxes coming, they run into the rock holes and are found safe. Somebody look at your neighbor and say found safe. God is our refuge and our hiding place. We don't have to focus on what we lack or how big our problems are, or how seemingly unsurmountable our obstacles are. Like the rock badger, we have to reposition ourselves. We have to go higher into the rocks to a place of strength and protection. God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help the Bible literally helps us to understand today that when we find ourselves in distressing situations we don't have to go looking for God because God is already present we don't have to wonder where God is in all of this God is right here with us have you ever had a situation where God worked some things out in your life alright we're serving refreshments in the social hall I only want to talk to the people who have had God work something out <laughs> in their life I can't be by myself on that I can't handle it on my job I can't handle it in my family God has worked some things out for me God is our refuge and our strength a very present help On February the 1st, 1964, college students took a stand against segregation when they refused to leave a Woolworth lunch counter without being served. Over the next several days, hundreds of people joined their cause in what became known as the Greensboro sit-ins. Three white female students from the Women's College of the University of North Carolina, now North Carolina at Greensboro, Jeannie, Marilyn, and Anne also joined the protest. After some were arrested and charged with trespassing, protesters launched a boycott of all segregated lunch counters until the owners caved and the original four students were finally served at the Woolworth lunch counter where they first stood their ground. Their efforts spearheaded spearheaded peaceful sit-ins and demonstrations in a dozens of cities. I'm encouraged by this story because I see God showing up in magnificent and dramatic ways. It must have taken tremendous courage for those students to refuse to be moved from that lunch counter. But they didn't bring weapons, and they didn't resort to acts of violence even while acts of violence were being thrust upon them, they simply decided to relax, put down their weapons, and remember that the Lord of hosts was with them. And the God of Jacob was their refuge. See, I like that connotation, the Lord of hosts. That's the big God. That's the battle-fighting God. That's the warrior God. That's the God who says, sit down right where you are and watch me work. That's the God that softened Jeannie and Marilyn and Ann's hearts, moved them to risk their own lives and their limbs to join the protesters at a lunch counter and became change agents in their own right. I don't know how the lunch counter protest would have worked out if only the black kids had continued to protest. I I don't know. But what I do know is that it's going to take each and every one of us to join in the fight against the scourge of racism and stand against injustice and speak out against wrong, (laughs) even when it's uncomfortable. Racism is not just a black people problem. It is not just a white people problem. It is a problem in this country. We always like to show up a little picture of Michelle Obama during Black History Month because she's Queen Mother. <laughs> we love her, for real. History has shown us that courage can be contagious. If you have courage, that rubs off on me, and then I can have courage. And that hope can take on a life of its own. This is how God is moving through this world. This is how we see injustice going from one place to another. No, it is not going to happen in the time frame that we would all like to see it happen in. It might not happen suddenly, but it will happen eventually. Our text today let us know that we are to be still, that we are to remember what God has done, and lastly, we better recognize. We better recognize that we are not in charge, that God is in charge, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Racism is on the wrong side of this story and you can either choose to be on the wrong side or you can be on God's side. I encourage you all to be on God's side because when it's all said and done, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is the truth. I believe that God has a way The Bible says that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. God has a way, and I believe that what God is doing is going to happen eventually. Just like when we were talking about adopting Sean. It took a real long time, but it happened eventually. Some things, like the case of Harold Thurman and the man showing up just when he needed him, happened suddenly. But we know we serve a God that might do it suddenly, might do it eventually, but God will do it. Amen? Join with me this morning and say, I don't know when God is going to do it, but God will do it. I don't trust mankind, but I trust God. I won't wait on man, but I will wait on God. In the name of Jesus. Amen.